It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. Should you board the flight to safety? As the debt crises deepen, we seek safe havens for your cash. Go east, not west. Why investors now want assets in strong Asian currencies. And is it time to leave your bank behind? We ask whether service counts for more than an interest rate. All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Alice Ross. Hello. And Elaine Moore. Hello. And our special studio guest, Adrian Lowcock, Senior Investment Advisor at Best Invest. Hello. Let's start then with the money news. While the nation's holidaymakers have been heading off for Europe and the States, the nation's investors have been fleeing stock markets in these debt-ridden regions for the safety of gold, Swiss francs and even UK government bonds. Gold buyers have pushed the price of the metal up yet again to a new record high of $1,673 an ounce. So many people have bought Swiss francs that the country's central bank went as far as to declare the currency massively overvalued and made an immediate cut to interest rates to halt its rise against the dollar and the euro. Frank then fell back 2% but rallied again. And the price of UK gilts have risen so far that yields are now at record lows. On Tuesday, the 10-year yield, which moves inversely to prices, fell to a record low of 2.76%. And yields on 30-year UK government bonds have fallen below 4% for the first time this year. Alice, looking at all of this, it seems that everyone is heading for the hills uh, and should we now be joining them? Well, I mean, it's easy to look at these headlines that we've seen this week and get quite scared and think, oh, I should be selling off all my equities and, you know, moving into these safe haven assets. Um, I think you have to draw a distinction between what the professional investors are doing on a kind of almost a day trading basis and what you should be doing as a private investor thinking about your long-term portfolio. So you shouldn't necessarily be trying to kind of trade, um, you know, various gilts or um, government bonds of various different countries. But you need to make sure that your um, portfolio is, you know, defensive enough, um, but also has enough potential for growth over the next few years. So it's about asset allocation and not necessarily panicking and getting rid of all of your equity holdings in Europe and the US. Exactly. I mean, you can, you know, it all comes down to what you're looking for out of your portfolio. But people have been moving more into defensive equities recently. So um, blue chips are back in favour because they're paying strong dividends to investors. Um uh, people are also looking at strategic bond funds um, where you can at least trust the manager to kind of do some of this, um, you know, buying of various uh, government bonds on your behalf so you don't have to worry about it. And one thing.
thing that seems to be making a bit of a comeback, um, Adrian, you can tell me a bit about this, is absolute return funds, which um, we've written a lot about on FT Money, saying that a lot of these, they sound a bit gimmicky. You know, absolute return sounds like some sort of guarantee, but actually some of the funds have lost more than 10% in the past year. But, um, Adrian, you think that they may be, uh, it may be time to start looking at them again? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think what we saw sort of since 2008 was um, sort of every, almost every fund management group would launch a new, new version of an absolute return fund. And the problem is that some of these managers weren't actually experienced at running absolute return. They hadn't got the background in being able to sell as well as buy investments. So it's very important when you're looking at these funds to make sure your manager is experienced and knowledgeable and has the track record in that field. Uh, But also, the markets rallied after 2008 and, and 2009. And it would struggle for an absolute return to outperform a benchmark uh, or particularly a stock market benchmark in, in those years but now going where we're at now age of austerity really is upon us and even the US is, is cutting uh, its spending um, so markets are probably going to be more sort of range bound they're going to trade within a range um, and that should be a better better sort of environment for absolute return to start delivering performance. The important thing though is as you say it's basically as part of our diversified portfolio so part of your asset allocation you're probably looking at around maybe no more than 10% in absolute return and it will basically help reduce volatility in your portfolio so it won't sort of swing up and down as much. If you're looking for a a safe haven surely you want it uh, to keep ahead of inflation as well and half of all absolute return funds have failed to beat inflation in the past 12 months so what about gold? What about uh, other assets? Yeah I mean absolutely I think uh, gold is a difficult one because it it keeps hitting new highs at the moment so it's very brave to go in and say we should be buying gold now when it's high I mean at some point it will top out Um, my my view is I mean I think you still have a a bit of your portfolio in gold Uh, the key thing here though is that you can actually get exposure to gold through perhaps gold mining shares where the uh, share prices fell back earlier in the year when gold did, but didn't uh, recover as gold has. So you're buying in effectively exposure to gold, but a lower price than, than the actual underlying commodity is. So certainly have that as, as part of a portfolio, but you know certainly no more than 5% in gold. And Alice, uh, you've been talking to a number of wealth managers over the last couple of days. Have you seen evidence of uh, you know, private investors moving their money into some of these areas or uh, is everyone being relatively calm? Well, I mean, I think um, where things are starting to change a bit is around some of the discretionary portfolios that wealth managers run for their private investors. Um, private investors themselves might be not be taking action as quickly. But they have been, you know, getting a bit more defensive in the past month or so. I mean, I know um, Best Invest, Adrian, was saying that they have started moving a bit into absolute return funds. They've started um, selling uh, some of their equities um, and, and moving a little bit into cash, uh, you know, with the rise in equities and commodities just to see what happens there. Um, so just taking a bit more of a defensive stance for now, because, you know, the past month has been quite crazy in terms of all of these things going on in the global economy with the US and the Eurozone. And I think people are definitely taking a bit of a wait and see approach. I, you know, no one's piling into the stock markets right now. It certainly has been uh, a month to remember or forget, possibly, depending on your point of view. Um, and if you'd like to know uh, more about uh, the flights to safe haven assets and the prospects for uh, the funds and assets we've talked about. Look out for the articles on ft.com and in the money section of this weekend's FT. Still to come on the show, is it time to leave your bank for one that treats you better or pays you more? First though, Asian currencies. 
For decades, the US dollar has been considered the reserve currency of the world, strong, universally accepted and backed by the world's richest nation. But in the past week, the true extent of the government debt crisis in the US and the lack of any easy solution to it has been exposed by the last-minute political wrangling to raise the country's debt ceiling. It's led a number of wealth managers to reiterate the argument that the strongest currencies nowadays, and the ones in which to hold your investments, are the currencies of the least indebted countries, and many of these countries are in Asia. Singaporean dollars, Malaysian ringgit and Chinese renminbi have all been mentioned by investment advisors as being attractive for UK investors. But Alice, looking at these currencies, how easy is it to get your money into them? Well, uh, you can buy a currency fund, basically. Um, Having currencies as part of your portfolio has actually been um, kind of more trendy in recent years. Um, People, investors didn't used to have any kind of direct exposure to currencies. But now there are these specialist currency funds that you can buy from, you know, a lot of the big asset managers. And, And the fund manager there will basically decide what what currencies are looking strong and what currencies are looking weak and kind of do it that way for you. And as you say, a lot of the fund managers right now are, are in Asian currencies. I just spoke to one fund manager at Henderson who says that he, for the last two months, he has, he's had absolutely nothing in developed country currencies because he thinks the outlook is so bad. Um, but the other way to get exposure is um, just through buying equities because the problem with some of these currency funds, I know, Adrian, you've been looking at them recently, is that they can be quite volatile um, because you've got a lot of kind of day trading going on that the fund managers are doing. So perhaps for the average private investor, you might almost be better off buying uh, some sort of emerging markets fund. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the important thing to do is if you've got a diversified portfolio, as, as, as an investor, you already will have exposure to currencies. And when we're sort of building our, our asset models and, 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 and creating portfolio models for clients, we, we obviously take that into consideration. One of the attractive uh, sort of things about Asia and emerging markets is the potential currency growth. Um, so when we're doing that, we're factoring in the fact that we think currencies will grow in those regions, and that's one of the reasons why we like those areas. And we increase our weightings to Asia-Pacific and emerging markets, in part to get exposure to currency uh, and benefit from that for, for an investor. So you're already doing it in, in one aspect. So to add, add currency as another layer, you've got to be aware that that will actually increase potential volatility and risk of the portfolio. And, um, you know, the question you have to ask is, is is it worth that additional risk for the return? Um, For a lot of investors, you might find that that's just too much to take on. And actually what you've got already exposure in your portfolio by being diversified into those regions is actually sufficient. And actually you've got currency exposure already. What about bonds? I mean, there are a number of bond funds that also specialise in Asia and and in uh, the wealthier or less indebted countries of the world. Is that something that UK investors might want to consider? Yeah, I mean, there are, there are a couple of... I think that's the way, if you're going to do it, I'd probably do it through a bond fund so that you've got, effectively, sort of smoothing out the, the volatility of the currency using a, a sort of lower risk and lower volatile asset like bonds. Um, the, the, the reality is when you combine sort of currency and bond exposure, you are effectively creating an almost equity-like risk fund. It's not a bond fund with lower risk. It's not a currency fund with higher risk. It's more in the middle. Um, but I think for larger portfolios, that that could be a way to do it, and there's some interesting sort of local currency emerging market bond funds out there. Um, certainly, you know, it's a, it's the next level of diversification, and I think we are going to find more appetite for it going forward, uh, particularly as we see the dollar in sort of long-term decline. Uh, that that will that will certainly trend be a trend that will develop. So I think we'll see more appetite for it, but I would, I would sort of tread carefully and, and do it tentatively.
Which countries and which currencies are um, advisors talking to you about? Well, this is the interesting thing. I mean, uh, just a few years ago when we had, um, you know, the financial crisis, 2008 kind of time, um, you know, there was this absolute flight to the dollar. Everyone was um, going into the dollar because that is, and it still is, the world's reserve currency. It is the safest place to go in, in times of crisis. Right now, fund managers are telling me that they are going into Asian currencies because they think that these countries are looking better from an economically stable kind of point of view. They have far less debt. But if things do go horribly wrong and there is some sort of double dip, um, you know, 1930s style thing, they think that people will still go back to the dollar because it is the reserve currency of the whole world. So the fact that they're in Asian markets at the moment is kind of um, a sign that things don't look good for the West, but it's also a sign that things don't look catastrophic for the West. So it's not all over for the dollar just yet. Um, But if if someone were looking to perhaps diversify their US dollar exposure away to to other currencies, um, which ones would you mention? Oh, um, people are talking about the Singapore dollar. Um, also, the New Zealand dollar has been doing really well. Um, so has the Australian. In fact, Australia and New Zealand have been benefiting generally from the growth in um, emerging markets because obviously they do do a lot of trade with those areas. And their currencies have been doing great. I mean, the New Zealand dollar um, has held up really, really well um, you know, this year, but a few years ago it didn't do well at all. So that's kind of a, kind of an emerging one to watch. Yes, it seems to, to be the case that the, the furthest away you get from Europe, <laughs> <laughs> the safer you might be. Alice uh, and Adrian, uh, thanks very much for that. And if you'd like to know more about gaining exposure to Asian and indeed other strong currencies, make sure you read Alice's article in this weekend's FT and on the website at ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, banks. In the aftermath of the financial crisis, some banks sought to restore customer trust by putting more emphasis on customer service. One new bank even launched in the UK with an unbeatable in-branch service as its unique selling point. But for all the NatWest customer charters and Metro Bank dog biscuits, do we really care? Not according to Uswitch.com. Its survey of a 1,000 bank customers found that customer service is not the most important thing for squeezed consumers. In fact, customers are more likely to switch banks for better interest rates or quick-win cash incentives than better service. Only 8% said they would move to a bank if its customer service was good. Elaine, people seem to be voting with their feet and not moving their feet down the road to another bank. So, service or interest rate? Which wins? Well, it's the same problem that we've been talking about again and again on this podcast, which is switching, and nobody is switching. So that survey that you mentioned, what they asked people is, why would you switch? What they didn't ask is, have you switched for this reason? So I wonder how many of those people who were questioned actually did move for customer service or even for rates, because the data that we're still getting shows that barely any are moving at all. And that's just because it's seen as slightly too difficult to move your money around regularly. And... It seems almost that uh, you can only have one or the other. 
you either get a decent interest rate or decent customer service, but no bank that I'm aware of scores well for both of these things, which is pretty terrible. Well, this survey was looking at Metro Bank, and it perhaps unfairly gave the bank a bit of a kicking. So Metro Bank only been around for about a year. It's added about 25,000 customers. That's not bad. But what they were saying is that, I mean, if you look at the rates they offered, and they were always upfront about this, they're not the best on the market, and then they're unlikely to ever be. So if you go for, say, the variable rate saver, that's 1%, and you can get, you know, you can get three times that amount out there on the market. So what they were saying is that actually, because Metro Bank aren't rating themselves on the the best by tables, they're never going to do as well as they possibly could if they, for example, were Santander and they were offering these kind of deals that are around at the moment where you can get £100 if you move to the current account plus a £25 gift voucher. But of course, with Santander, you have the added problem that it's a bit of a roulette wheel. And we hear so many problems from customers of Santander, particularly the ones who are Alliance and Leicester customers and were then moved over. And this seems to be the problem. Um, Look at the Best Buy tables. Uh, In fact, if you were to turn the Best Buy tables upside down, um, you would probably uh, end up with a a list of the the banks with the best service and vice versa. Santander come quite high in polls of dissatisfaction, don't they? They they come very high. I think they top some of them. And it's um, it's for a really wide variety of reasons as well. So in this weekend's FT Money, uh, we have an example of a reader who had put money into a savings account, closed a savings account, and for the next about a year, they were being sent letters saying, you are overdrawn on the savings account, we will be taking action against you. And that has then possibly impacted on her credit rating score. Um, so there's a huge variety of problems. It was only about £500 that she put into the bank account in the first place so it's it was absolutely not worth it at all but Santander if you google Santander customer complaints you'll just get so many hits it's just it keeps on being a problem the bank at the end of last year said that they were going to seriously overhaul their complaints procedure they understood that it was a problem they were going to do something about it whether that's happened or not yet remains to be seen indeed and do you think that we'll ever get to a position where there's a bank that's offering high interest rates and great customer service well there's actually there's all, there are some out there so first direct that's the online version of hsbc and hsbc itself does okay in in the rest of the big banks if you look at the complaints data hsbc it's all right it's not the worst first direct it's online version does fantastically well. It's uh, it's apparently a really good um, prospect and some of the rates that it offers are pretty good as well. I think that's because when it was set up and it was trying to attract customers, it, the bank knew that customers were slightly wary of just an online-only version. So they worked really hard to make sure that everything was very smooth and that if you had a problem or a question, you could phone up, get straight through to somebody, they would clear things up for you. Um, NSNI as well, we should mention, is um, it's a big favourite with lots of readers. It's offering to beat inflation. And uh, it basically, I don't think, it, I think it got one complaint that was passed on to the ombudsman, possibly not even that. So nobody has a problem, although we have heard some people have had problems actually getting the account in the first place. So the interest rate is great from National Savings and Investments. Um, the, the complaints are almost zero, but you just can't actually open one of these accounts. Perhaps there's no customers. Perhaps that's why there's no complaints. I don't know. Well, I, I, I'm sure there are some people who've uh, who've succeeded with this. Um, Elaine, thank you very much uh, indeed. And uh, for more on the relative merits of customer service versus 
interest rates. You can read Elaine's analysis in the money section of this weekend's FT. But that's all we have time for in this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you'll find all of these stories, plus daily news updates, blog posts and top tips on our website, ft.com forward slash money. You can follow our tweets at twitter.com forward slash FT Money. And if you have a question you'd like us to answer about any aspect of your finances, just email us. The address is money at ft.com next week we'll bring you another financial lowdown in downloadable form but until then it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from alice elaine and our special guest adrian lowcock from best invest goodbye Goodbye. for more downloads go to ft.com forward slash podcasts Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.